Welcome to Commission. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman. And I'm Jed Robine. In each episode, we will talk about the gospel of the kingdom, declaring God's heart for the restoration of Israel and all the nations. So join us as we together explore the mysteries of the one new man. Welcome back to the Commission Podcast. I'm Pastor Eric, and again, here with me is my good friend, Jed Robine, Pilgrim Way Ministries. We are going to continue our discussion on the early church in Antioch, Paul and Barnabas and all of the other early church leaders, really seeing this as a microcosm of the one new man and what God is going to do here at the end of the age. So, Jed, let me turn it back to you. I know you've got a lot of questions and content you want to want to bring out to our listeners. Absolutely. So I want to just frame it up. We're in Acts 13 for this episode, and I want to zero in on a couple of ideas and hear your thoughts on it, Eric, and just dialogue a little bit with you about this, because I think it points to other scriptures that mm-hmm. we have as well. You know, for example, where in Romans, Paul says to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, right? Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, that's Jesus' ministry in a nutshell. He came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then there's a pivot when he's resurrected, and it's going to go, going to go global, mm-hmm. right? And so, as I think it's an it's an interesting note here, as Paul and Barnabas are going into these regions, and again, they've been sent out from Antioch. Yes, the Holy Spirit has sent them out from a multicultural family, Jew and Gentile, and there's a special task that the Holy Spirit has on these guys. As apostles, go forth, preach the gospel in these Gentile nations, but there's Jewish communities within these regions. That's right. And so we hear over and over again, they're going to the Jewish synagogues, and that's where they start their work. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, Acts 13, verse 5, Paul and Barnabas, they've, they've set out. Sorry, this is verse 4. They went out of Seleucia, sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. Mm-hmm. So my first point is, um, is that they are following a very specific protocol that I believe is absolutely biblical. Yes. And I would like to hear your thoughts on, as these Jewish emissaries are being sent out, why are they going to the Jewish synagogues first? And, and just hear you kind of talk about that a little bit. Well, we know that, that Paul said that the message was to be preached to the Jew first and then to the Greek. He also said that that honor would come to the Jew first and then to the Greek, and that also judgment, discipline would come to the Jew first and then to the Greek. So there seems to be that Paul is honoring God's order, and it's really very simple. It's the order of God's firstborn nation, which is which is Israel. And firstborn doesn't doesn't imply better than the Jewish people, we're not better than everyone else, but we are the firstborn of God's nations, and we are a covenant nation. And God made covenant promises to Israel, to the Jewish people, that we were to be a light to the nations, to bring the, the oracles of God, to be, be the messengers of God, and to go forth to the nations, and to bring his message and who he is to all the nations, and to teach the nations how to walk in his ways. Paul says that that, that calling on, upon, upon us is irrevocable and without repentance, meaning that God is never going to take it away. And so there is a very 
special calling on the Jewish people to still, to this day, to be the light to the nations. Paul also says, so what advantage has the the Jew? And he says, every advantage because to them were committed the oracles of God, meaning that God entrusted us with his word and that we were to bring that message to the ends of the earth. So think about it. I mean, it's honoring in one sense. Paul is doing what is, is right, but it's also strategic if you think about it. Because if he's able to go to the synagogues and preach the gospel and those Jewish leaders get saved, they will then begin to fulfill their God-given calling to be a light to the nations. Yes. How many more lights to the nations would, you know, how much more could the gospel be spread to the ends of the earth if we had the Jewish people today, for example, being light, the light to the nations, because it is our calling. Now, it doesn't mean we would do this by ourselves. We would be partnering with our Gentile brothers and sisters. But we have this very special calling on us. And most of the Jewish people, unfortunately, today are rejecting their calling. I think what you're saying is really, really key. And for our listeners, if we're thinking back to the ancient world and that that idea of the oracles of God have been entrusted Mm -hmm. to Israel. Right. The covenants have been entrusted to Israel. Mm -hmm. Messiah himself Mm -hmm. came through Israel. That's right. And so in all the ancient world, who are your knowledge gatekeepers? They're going to be your Jewish leaders in your synagogues. They're there. They're your rabbis sitting Mm -hmm. in those synagogues. And, and so who strategically, I love the way you use that word, mm-hmm. strategically, who, who are the best allies? If you're going to win anybody in a mm-hmm. city to the Lord, right. start there with the men who know the scriptures through and through. Right. I mean, there was a foundation. I mean, th- thousands of years of, of history that the Jewish people carried with them. Right. And, and the books of Moses and the laws that were written down and meticulously then studied throughout the centuries and taught to the children and to the grandchildren. And then all of the, the writings and the prophets, all of those writings were entrusted to the, to the rabbis, to the sages. The Gentiles had like no knowledge of the Bible. There was no New Testament floating around. It wasn't like, you know, all of the, the different right. publishers. It wasn't Amazon. There wasn't all these different Christian publishers right. out there printing. These, were, these, these scrolls were handwritten. Yep on parchment, meticulously over the course of like a whole year, it took them one scribe to write an entire Torah scroll. Right. And they were the ones that held these books and they had all of the knowledge of what was in the book. So how do you then go, you have, you're trying to now train these new believers and they have zero history, zero knowledge of what's actually in the Bible. I think this is so key for us to understand, even in the church, you know, when we have a Bible on every bookshelf in every room of every home mm-hmm. for, you know, most believers, at least in the West, or we can get it on our phone now mm-hmm. <laughs> and have every translation of every, you know, right there at the tap of a screen. You know, we really didn't have, the Bible wasn't really multiplied, multiplied in English, mm-hmm. for example, until, you know, the oh, Re- Reformation. Six, six, uh, yeah. So... <laughs> For for the vast majority of church history, fifteen hundred mm-hmm. years, right. the the word of God was either protected by Jewish sages, mm-hmm. or it was kept by Catholic or Greek Orthodox priests, right. and they would be the ones that would have access to the scriptures and they would teach you from that. But that that would not be given to a layperson to have the scriptures in their own home. No, and most people couldn't read the, right. the languages anyways. They couldn't read the Greek. They couldn't read the Latin. 
Uh, so it had to be read by somebody who was actually schooled in in either of those languages. So that you know, we know the Targum, the the Old Testament was translated in into Greek, and then eventually it was translated into Latin, and then from Latin it was eventually translated into English. But that didn't happen until you know Tyndale, and of course he was burned at the stake as a heretic for translating the Bible into English. And then, of course, about the same time was the advent of the printing press. Yes. So we're really talking only about four or 500 years that we've actually had the printed Bible in circulation and available to the common person. Right. And, and, before, and before that, for 1,600 years, like you just said, either the rabbis held their Hebrew and Aramaic uh, doc, scrolls and documents and books, or it was held in the Orthodox or the Catholic Church. And that's really the only places that you could find these books. And, and the price that's paid. I mean, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole too far, but the reality of, you know, the oracles and the covenants and the things that God entrusted to Israel, have Israel's paid a, 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 a very hard price for. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I just want to make sure it's in the mind of our listeners as we're looking at these stories in the ancient world of Paul and Barnabas and these these men going out with the word of God to preach why they're going to the synagogues, and what are the, all the dynamics that are going on that we're about to read, read about as we kind of go. So I want to pick up the story here in Acts chapter 13. And again, we just read where they're at Salamis. Uh, this is verse 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. So this is another Antioch, but it's not the Antioch we've been mm-hmm. talking about in uh, chapter 11. And here it says, On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stands up and he preaches for a good amount of verses. I'm going to skip forward till. Verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas leave the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas and the two men, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. So early returns, awesome. Mm -hmm. Hey, we love what you guys are saying. Come back next week and preach again, please. And here's where the, the story turns dark. And I want to hear your thoughts on this. So the following week, this is verse 44. The following week, almost the entire city turns out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, and here it is, they were jealous. Yeah. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. And declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. Yeah. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. So want to hear your thoughts on some of these verses. And the, the word of God is initially mm-hmm. received in the synagogue. And then they come out and man, the crowds 
come out to hear Paul and Barnabas this time. But whoa, something changes and there's some Mm -hmm. bitter jealousy here. And suddenly the Jewish community is opposing the preaching of the gospel. Can you talk to me about, from your perspective, what do you think is going on here in the story? Well, we have the fulfillment of several prophecies. Uh, The first one, going back to, to Deuteronomy, where Moses spoke to the Jewish people, to the Israelites, and he said to them, that God will provoke you to jealousy, to anger by a foolish nation. And he was saying this because the Israelites had already sinned against God with the golden calf. In other words, they'd already, even after they had seen all of the things that God did to the Egyptians and how he delivered them, carried them in his own arms and brought them out of Egypt and delivered them from the Egyptian army and destroyed the Egyptian army after all of these powerful miracles and signs and standing there at the base of the Mount Sinai and hearing the audible voice of God declaring the covenant, the 10 commandments. Moses is up for, you know, 30 days or so with the Lord and they're already down in the camp making their golden calf. And God was going to destroy Israel for that. We know the history of what it says in the Bible, but it was in response to that. God's heart was broken and he says to them prophetically that he would provoke them to anger by a foolish nation. We see then another piece of the prophecy in Isaiah where the Lord says that all day he has held his hand out to his own people and they've rejected him. But those that were not even looking for him found him and came actually running to him. And then Paul kind of, you know, summarizes all of this, encapsulates all of this in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, really, but chapter 11 being kind of the the capstone of what he's communicating. And he's actually paraphrasing the prophecy given to, to Moses. And he says, because of your rejection now, so now here God has appeared to you in the flesh. Jesus, Yeshua, has come to you in the flesh and you rejected him. You crucified him. God is going to fulfill his prophecy. And he says that because of your rejection, now, of course, he's speaking to the church in Rome because they were now turning against their Jewish brothers. But he's saying this prophecy is being fulfilled that God has turned to you and brought you his salvation to provoke Israel to jealousy. Right. So when the gospel is going out uh, in Antioch and other places where there are Jews, and then there are these either Hellenists or Greeks or other cultures living there, they're the ones that are running, they're fulfilling the prophecy. They're running to receive Jesus. Yes. And the Jewish leaders themselves are the ones that are continuing to reject and to resist in fulfillment of the prophecy. And Jesus was very harsh. He was very critical of the Jewish leaders for turning away the, sh- the sheep from the truth. Yes. Because they follow the leaders. And so he was very critical. You know, Jesus is always, he was very gentle towards the people but he was very harsh and direct and critical towards the leaders right because they were the ones that were that were blinding the people and turning the sheep away from from God away from the truth and so the same thing is happening here initially the you know the Jewish people come out and they're ready to receive the message but then when the leaders come out they turn the people away from the truth yes and you see this instant, interesting dynamic. You see it in, in the life of Jesus, obviously mm-hmm. even more extreme than what's happening with, with Paul and Barnabas, but the same dynamic of where you can hear the high priest saying, we need to eliminate Jesus because mm-hmm. the whole nation's going to follow him. Right, 
Right. You know, so they're talking about like, it's all about God, but really it's not, it's not about God at all. Mm -hmm. It's about their power and -hmm. it's about their constituency. And so they're going to make an expedient decision in Jesus case. We need, we need to go ahead and eliminate him because we're going to lose our followership, Mm -hmm. which contrasts that with John the Baptist. I have to decrease so that he can increase. Yeah. And so, you know, John's saying, I'm not even worthy to untie the throngs of Jesus's sandals Mm -hmm. contrasted with the, you know, the people who have positions of power, Mm. whether they're even with Pontius Pilate, even a Gentile who thinks he has all this power, you know, and and he's confronting Jesus, you know, don't you know that I have power to save you or Mm -hmm. put you to death? You, you know, you have no power other than what my father has given you, right? And so we're called to steward the power that God gives us. Mm-hmm. And in these cases, if we go back to circle back to what we were talking about earlier, here with Paul, they're going into the Jewish synagogues. They're following the right protocol. They're strategically trying to win some men and women of God mm-hmm. to be moms and dads in the region to disciple people and to build the ecclesia. And they're offering the word of the Lord mm-hmm. and the ones who should see it, the ones who should receive it, the ones who should then be in position to train, equip and expand. Reject it. That's right. And Paul ties in with the with the purpose of God. To your point, he sees the prophetic word playing out in real time in his life. And he, he says, he OK, I'm now going to prophesy to you. I'm right. going to the Gentiles with this now. Because you have rejected this, I see what the Lord's doing. Mm-hmm. And so he, he's now taking this global, and I am going to go and follow, and I'm going to follow the impulse of the Holy Spirit right. to take this to, the, as you said, the foolish nation that's going to provoke to jealousy, Israel. Right. Paul is seeing the bigger picture. And he understands, and he says this, that partial, he said, blindness in part has come to Israel. That there's a partial hardening of their heart. It's easy sometimes. John clearly was anointed with the revelation to know who Jesus was. I mean, he was sent with the spirit of Elijah. And so it's easy for us to look at someone like John and say, well, of course he he knew. Of course he declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there were others within Israel that clearly their eyes were open as well. But the majority of the Jewish people didn't crucify Jesus because... They, they knew he was, he was God. Had you known, in other words, had you known what you would, who he was in your midst, you would have never crucified the Lord of glory. And so God has this blindness that has come over Israel, this partial blindness, this partial hardening, is something that God actually is allowing to happen to the Jewish people. And so rather than, you know, point fingers at them and say, oh, you know, you killed your Christ, Mm. we need to step back and look at the bigger picture and realize that God has committed them to disobedience. That's what Paul says in Romans 10. But he's also going to show them mercy because of the mercy that was shown to you, Gentiles. To them, they were in disobedience and now to you, mercy. But because he showed you mercy... And you were not even part of the covenant, the old covenant. God is going to show them mercy in his, in his time. And so we have to understand that this is, again, part of this continuous unfolding story of God's plan of salvation, redemption for, for Israel. 
you're saying something really, really important. And I want to bring this forward now. You know, we've been talking about the ancient dynamics. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward now and bring it right to modern day. Mm. Because in the ancient story here, the hand of the Lord is upon the Gentiles. He's Mm -hmm. doing something marvelous. And there's some people that are really happy about it, like Paul and Barnabas. Mm -hmm. And then there's guys that are not so happy about the movement of God going to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. When we look at what's happening today, and the goal is, I want to, you know, point to Acts 5 and point to Gamaliel and say, look, you don't want to end up fighting against God, Mm -hmm. right? He's speaking to the Sanhedrin. Hey, before you whip those disciples, if they're not from God, their message is going to wither and die out. Mm. But if you're whipping true messengers of God, you don't want to be fighting against the Lord. Mm-hmm. So the goal of a believer is to be, we got to be on God's side. Absolutely. He's not on my side. He's not on <laughs> your side. You and I need to get yeah, on his, his side. side. What is God doing is the question. God, if God is saving Gentiles, then let's get on board. Israel, rejoice because God is saving Gentiles. Yes. Amen. Now in our modern day, it's uh, inverted. Mm-hmm. God is doing a marvelous work with Israel. Mm. And Jews are getting saved. Mm. They're becoming more and more into faith since the late 60s. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, a, since the Jesus movement, really, in this explosion of Messianic Judaism in the earth, to where mm-hmm. now there's over 20,000 Jewish believers in Israel. There's several hundred thousand around the world. Mm. God's doing a marvelous work with Israel. Mm-hmm. And there's some Gentiles that see it and are glad. Yeah. That's true. And there are some Gentiles who are upset right, or don't see it or don't care and attach no meaning to it whatsoever. But I, I want to be a Gentile that stands up and points to the word of God mm-hmm. and says, God's doing a work in Israel mm-hmm. and it's marvelous to behold. He's fulfilling scripture that he said thousands of years ago. He's returning them from every nation they've mm-hmm. been scattered And they are the blinders, as you said, the partial blinding is starting to come off. Mm -hmm. It's been coming off now for several decades and Lord do even more. Mm -hmm. But I want to just challenge our Gentile believers out there that are listening to this that may have never even thought about Israel Mm -hmm. in this way. You know, we can read a story like this. I can't believe they missed it back then. But are we missing God in our day? That's a great question. Are we not aware of what the Holy Spirit's doing? Because it makes us uncomfortable. Mm. It's not, oh, you know, Jesus isn't American. Mm. You know, well, that makes me uncomfortable because I want to serve a God that thinks like me, looks like me, sounds like me, Mm. believes like me. That's easier for me. Mm. But if that's not the God of the Bible, then I need, I've got to diminish. I need to decrease so that he can increase. Mm. And the debt that we have as the Gentiles, I just am, I look at these stories and the courage of these Jewish apostles hmm. to face down their own people, to face stoning and being dispersed. I mean, we can finish and land this episode on this thought. You know, how many times does Paul get stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, imprisoned? imprisoned. He is suffering for this call to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And so here in verse 50, Acts 13, and we'll kind of land the plane here, but the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incite a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook off the dust of their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium, and the believers there were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So you have this interesting contrast. Mm -hmm. 
there's people that are really angry and persecuting mm-hmm. the gospel, but you have people who are receiving it with joy yes. and getting saved. And we even see it, you know, a little earlier, the verse 48, when the Gentiles hear this, they're very glad and thank the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life become believers. So, you know, in our day, the word of the Lord is going forth and it, there's fruit mm-hmm. and there's joy and there's people getting saved and there's opposition mm-hmm. and uh, rejection and harsh reaction to that work. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if there's in, in, you know, a more controversial topic geopolitically than the presence of Israel in the Middle East. From a political perspective, like if you just look at it from from a worldly perspective for a second, this thing jacked everything up. Mm-hmm. And, it's, <laughs> and it's going to actually get right. worse. And God we, says, I've set that, you know, it's a stumbling block. That's right. Yeah. If you try to move that stone, you're going to disjoint your back. That's right. And how many times have we seen that politically where, you know, countries try to get involved and no one has been able to solve that crisis Mm-mm. because Jesus is the only one who's going to solve this one. Yeah. You know, and so I look at this and just would love to hear some of your thoughts as we kind of bring this particular episode down on, you know, the fruitfulness. God's moving in the earth. He's moving today. Back in the ancient times, he was mm-hmm. moving with the Gentiles here. And it was the Jewish community that, that was having a hard time and opposing. Now in our day, he's moving in with Israel in a peculiar way, mm-hmm. strategic way. And in some respects, the Gentile church is indifferent to that or resistant to that move of the spirit? Well, this is, this is a question that I get, that I get asked quite a bit. And in part, because I grew up in Israel and I have Israeli citizenship. And so people assume that I know a lot about what's going on in Israel, which is true. I do. But the first thing that I start any answer to any of these questions with is the big, the big picture, this, which is the spiritual picture of what's going on, because we'll never understand the conflict if we're just on the ground looking at the conflict. So we've got to go up into the heavenly realm to, to look at this from that perspective and understand that this is a spiritual conflict at, at the very heart of what's going on in Israel, in Jerusalem. It is a spiritual conflict. God has chosen that piece of real estate out of all of the earth. He has chosen that piece of real estate and he has promised it to the Jewish people. The one who opposes God, Satan, Satan, as we call him, is the one who is trying to resist God's plans. But ultimately, what he's trying to do is prevent Jesus, Yeshua, from establishing his kingdom. He wants that piece of real estate, and especially the Temple Mount, more than any other piece of real estate in in the world. It is more valuable to, to him than any other piece of real estate. And so he is going to do everything in his power to try to make sure that Israel doesn't regain or gain or keep control over the the heart of God's kingdom. It's not just Jerusalem, it's Judea and Samaria. It's It's the entirety of the region surrounding Jerusalem to the west and to the east. Most of that, of course, has been put under Palestinian authority, although Israel still retains military control over it. But most of that land surrounding Jerusalem to the east is under Palestinian authority. So, so that's the heart of the conflict. This is a spiritual, a spiritual battle. Can it be accomplished by 
dividing Jerusalem and creating a separate Palestinian nation with Jerusalem as its capital and dividing the Temple Mount or giving the Temple Mount over to the Palestinians as the Pope. It's all already under Jordanian control anyways, but giving it over to the Palestinians permanently as part of a two-state solution, it will never happen. God, God will never allow his kingdom, his land, to be divided. And so in that, in that regard, as Christians, and this is not about taking sides. I mean, there, there are plenty of issues with the Palestinians and their plight and their the oppression under the Palestinian leadership, which is very oppressive to them and the poverty and the lack of uh, employment opportunities and economic opportunities they have. There's plenty of on-the-ground issues to deal with. But to think that we can somehow, the U.S. or other nations interject and forcibly divide God's kingdom, right. it just isn't going to happen. And the nation that touches that land and, and scatters God's people will be judged according to what is promised in the book of Joel. And, and we're back to that idea of he's not on my side, he's not on your side. Right. He's on his side. His side. And we have a choice to his will be done or mine. Right. Absolutely. And, and so when Jesus comes back, you know, the Israeli government right now, they're going to have to diminish and decrease. They have to because be completely it's, replaced because yeah. <laughs> right. their government is not going to function exactly. under, under Jesus as king. <laughs> it's not going to work. It, you know, it's his land. That's right. You know, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh-huh. And he's extended that out. As God said to Abraham, I mean, God preached the gospel to Abraham. Mm-hmm. You know, every family of the earth through you will be blessed. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the gospel was global, you know, before Abraham really entered into his fullness of his earthly calling. Mm-hmm. It's very right there at the beginning. You go all the way back to Genesis 3. The seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent. Mm-hmm. God is going to defeat Satan. Right. The Messiah is going to come and establish his kingdom. And so we are in this, all of the drama, as I love how you just said it, we don't look at these things primarily from a political lens Mm-mm. or a human lens, although there are plenty of issues there. There are plenty, right. But we want to, the first lens we want to look at it is spiritual. That's right. God, what are you trying to accomplish and how can we line up with your goals and objectives? And like Paul here in this story, in this episode, mm-hmm. understood, he didn't take it personally. As, as he went there strategically to win the Jewish gatekeepers of knowledge to the gospel so he could build the church, he understood, okay, they're rejecting the word of the Lord, mm-hmm. but the Lord said he was going to reject their word. Now my job in the story is to pivot. Right. I need I, I, God sending me to the Gentiles. I see it clear, more clear now than mm-hmm. ever. So Barnabas, pack your bags, let's shake the dust off, and let's go on to Iconium, and boom, they're celebrating with the Gentiles there as people continue to get saved. So yeah. um, great episode, Eric. This is a lot of fun talking about these things. We'll continue uh, looking at some of these great stories as we go here in the next few episodes as we explore Acts 14 and 15 and 16. So thank you, everyone. On behalf of Eric Teitelman, uh, I'm Jed Robine. Thank you for listening to the Commission Podcast. If you have enjoyed this podcast from Commission, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our ministry websites. 
We pray the Lord richly blesses you, and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.